census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are broadcasting here from the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor, brought to you by uh, Deadly Grounds Coffee and the Dorkening Podcast Network. And I, of course, am not here on my own. I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is <gasps> the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Princess of Prosecco, the Queen Regent of Rosé. She is the real housewife of Transylvania, the Michael Phelps of wine, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, Ashes One Nightmare. You're going to need a bigger intro. Are we going to need a bigger billion dollar space, uh, space, uh, ocean research station? Is that, I don't know. I don't know. That just doesn't quite roll off the tongue the way uh, the original quote does. But uh, how you doing, Ashes? You doing all right today? Um, I'm I'm doing. I'm a doing. We are uh, gearing up for vacation. Yeah, we have our tenth uh, wedding anniversary next week. Um, so we're we're uh, we're kind of in vacation mode because we just want to oh, get little bit. to the weekend. Yeah, and... yeah. So like, uh, real talk for a minute here. So this is my first full week off. In four years. Yeah, that's about that. That's, that seems about uh, so, right. So, so your girl is burnt out, like to a crisp at this point. And in order for me to take this full week off, I have a lot of stuff that I need to do and shenanigans to accomplish and stuff. So, you know, so there's a. It's it's one of those like I have to do even more stuff. To, to prepare for your week to, off. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so. because you won't be there all week, and there is no redundancy for you. Yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, there can be only one. There can be only none. I'm like, I'm like the Highlander. Oh, yes. Except the, not Scottish. Well, neither was he. He was, he was <laughs> supposed to be. He had a French accent, and then you had the the Spanish-Egyptian guy with the Scottish accent, and... We'll we'll at some point discuss the Highlander because it there is. There can be only one, and uh, then there was two. There was like <laughs> six and a TV show, and there's a reboot coming with Henry Cavill. I don't know, but that's actually a nice segue because, uh, and I don't think you did that on purpose. Because... I, I, you know, what? I'm going to pretend that I did. Well, I know you didn't because you haven't seen any of the movies, but. Uh, we recently saw the Meg 2, and that's why we're going to be talking about Jonas Taylor today. His name is Jonas. And that was weird. He, uh... It's the Weezer song. I am unfamiliar. You are unfamiliar with the Weezer song, His, My Name is Jonas? I know the sweater song, 
and I know Buddy Holly, and I think that's it. So, yes, I am unfamiliar with the... I was never a huge Weezer guy. I tried listening to some of the albums, but it just wasn't for me, and I never revisited it. So, you know, maybe it's time to give it a listen. But, um, yeah, so we uh, we're talking about Jonas Taylor today, and one of the discussions we had was how he went from a very specifically defined character in the first film to, oh, wait, we have Jason Statham in this role. We need to have him be a ridiculous action star. So that kind of got us thinking about some characters who are in franchises who went from a very specifically defined, because he's not the only one in this movie that did that, but he went from a very specifically defined character in the first film and then in the second film was completely different. It, you know, same same actor, same character, but for some reason the character became completely different. Now, I know you have a few on your list and I have a few on my list, but I will say that in my, uh, you know, in this intro, we, we talked briefly about the Highlander and... So I'll I'll use the Highlander uh, Connor McLeod as one of my um, as one of my picks because in the first film it was all about like oh we're you know you have to be born a Highlander and you know like there's a very specific hierarchy and like there's a very specific you know set of rules and conduct and you know everybody has to fight for centuries until there is but one Highlander left to participate in the quickening where he gets all kinds of power and, and whatnot, and hooray, he's immortal forever. Because you're not really immortal because somebody can cut your head off, which that means you're not immortal, so I don't... I, whatever. Um, but in the second film... You mean there's a decapitation clause to the immortality? It seems like it, yes. But in the second film... The decapitation thing is still a thing, and somehow he ages, Connor McLeod, uh, uh, Christopher Lambert, uh, who is a French guy playing a Scottish guy, and then you have, uh, uh, what's his name, Sean Connery, who shows up to tell him he's a, he's a, a Highlander, which Highlander is not the name of the, the Immortals, He's from the Scottish Highlands in like the 1500s, so they refer to Connor McLeod as the Highlander. Highlander is for people who haven't seen it is a term that's just like oh everyone is a Highlander, and like even I was was doing it a few minutes ago. But uh, Sean Connery shows up to refer to him you know, to tell him he's like oh you're immortal yeah and he's like what's your name oh my name's Ramirez and he's like oh you're a Spaniard. No, I'm not a Spaniard. I'm Egyptian. It's like, you have a Scottish fucking <laughs> accent. Like, he didn't even attempt. Like, and he gets so indignant. Like, oh, my name is Ramirez, which is a Spanish name. And he gets pissed off. He's like, no, I'm Egyptian. Can't you tell that by my white skin and Scottish accent? Was you he dick? walking like an Egyptian? He because was riding that's a horse. A sign. He was riding a horse, so he wasn't even walking. The horse wasn't walking like an Egyptian either. So you have a French guy doing a French accent as a Scottish guy, and a Scottish guy doing his Scottish accent 
as an Egyptian Spanish guy. So, yeah, uh, it was ridiculous. Like, and that's like the least ridiculous thing. Clancy Brown is like the main bad guy. Um, Mr. Which, Krabs. Yes, Mr. Krabs. He Sarter, likes money. Uh, the uh, prison guard from Shawshank. Uh, yeah, so it's weird. But in the second film, they're all aliens. They're aliens from another planet from the far future. And as a punishment for war crimes, they get sent back in time. Like, I, uh, it's... Wait, 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 wait. I thought they were from Scotland. No. On the first movie, they're from Scotland. And that's like, oh, you were born an immortal. And in the second movie, it's like, oh, we're all from another planet. And, like, somehow Sean Connery's character... Again, same characters. Sean Connery's character gets transported to Christopher Lambert because Christopher Lambert yells his name out. And he is transported through time from the past to the future. It's so fucking weird. It doesn't make any sense. My question is, should I be sober while watching these films? Or or would a nice palate cleanser make it make sense? No, nothing makes it make sense. Like, these two movies... And then the third movie comes along and completely ignores the fact that the second one exists, which happens in quite a few franchises, but... Yeah, so... Since you hadn't seen that movie, I just kind of wanted to touch on a little bit. So who's on your list? So first on my list is the first character that came to mind when we were talking about this subject, and that is Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Now, you can argue because of the way that season eight went down, that final season of Game of Thrones, which has many uh, fans just all hot and bothered because it was just so unbelievably terrible for the most part. There were some redeeming parts, but those were few and far between. Uh, Jamie Lannister, the character, they had worked so hard on creating this character arc for him, this beautifully redeeming character arc for him because when he started out he was a terrible character you loved to hate him he was arrogant he was full of himself uh he didn't have a care in the world except for his sister and did whatever his sister told him to do but he had some redeeming qualities right but you know as the series went on uh, things happened to him. He gained a little more humanity. And, and humility. He ga- yes, and humility. And he gained uh, sort of a, a conscience, if you will, um, a sense of morality that he didn't once have. Well, he always had it. He just never... It was, well, I would say it was a, a different... For, like because he saved the town of King's Landing but everyone only saw him as Kingslayer so he's like you know what fuck you I'm going to lean into that because you didn't appreciate what I what I did for you and it took Brienne and losing his sword hand to 
Right, but he goes through this really just beautiful character arc leading up to and through season seven. And then all of a sudden, season eight comes along, and it's like they don't know what to do with this character anymore. And they just backtrack everything. Yeah. Everything this character has learned, all of the trials and tribulations that this character has gone through to make you root for this character. I mean, he went from what I mean, I always liked him, but a lot of people, you know, most hated character to probably most loved character or one of the most loved characters you know by the end of season seven um and just completely demolished destroyed the character in season eight even to the point where they made him say like oh i never cared about the innocent lives in king's landing it's like yeah you did you killed your king that you were sworn to protect in order to save those people from being burned so yeah you did. You know, and I'll never forget him, like, turning his back on Brienne and going to be with Cersei. And, you know, and we all know I love myself some Cersei Lannister. And she is another one, too. They completely destroyed her character season eight. They built her up to be this, you know, powerful ruler who could make anybody pretty much do what she... She, she had certain people in the palm of her hand. And... Uh, they just destroyed her character too. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say the Lannister twins, the Lannister twins. They they, you know, made these characters go through this crazy character arc to the point where you know, uh, really just amazing characters. And I mean, Cersei Lannister is heralded as one of the best television villains of all time. You know, only to, and and that's true uh, because she's on list. Like I've seen her name yeah, yeah. Like, on mean, list. I'm not just making this you shit can up. consider her that um, as well. Well, I mean, I I obviously I do. I love her, uh, but you know, only to have them just completely say, you know, oops. Well, we don't really know what to do with these characters. We just kind of want to end the show. So here you go. Yeah, they're it... now you know trembling wusses you know where these two characters were so powerful and so uh, domineering and so you know strong in their own rights to just have these characters literally crumble to pieces yeah it's just it was it was terrible to watch it was awful like i i i got emotional for all the wrong reasons you know not because of what was happening but because of what they did to these characters it was a wrong it was emotion so, it was, exactly it was just absolutely atrocious so uh, the lannister twins are number one on my list so for me i have i have three uh but i'll start with uh john j rambo uh, so in the first film, mm, that's a good one. Yeah, he is a man who is broken, suffering from PTSD. Um, he kills no one. There is one accidental death, but that's not his fault. Um, but he kills no one throughout the end. He, even though he could have, he could have killed everybody, but he didn't. He makes it a point to avoid killing and you know all he wanted was something to eat that's all he wanted and you know even his his old commanding officer colonel troutman says you know leave him alone let him go you'll pick him up 
you know, working at a car wash in Oregon, you know, a month from now, and there'll be no fight, no mess. Just let it go. But, you know, naturally they couldn't. Like, the testosterone-fueled, like, macho asshole in this was Brian Dennehy, not Sylvester Stallone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at the end, the original ending that, you know, that comes from David Morrill's book is he kills himself. In the original ending, Troutman killed him. But he forced Troutman to kill him. Um, but he did end up surrendering, and you see this absolute just mental breakdown because of the, the the stress and the PTSD that he deals with while, you know, being, you know, interrogated and, and booked at the police station, uh, the way he's treated by Art Galt, who is the only guy who dies. And then in the second movie, they do mention that he has 59 confirmed kills. That's through the entirety of... Of the Vietnam War. So he killed 59 people throughout the entirety of that war, which I believe was like four or five years. In Rambo 2, he turns into an unstoppable killing machine and kills 72 people in what amounts to a long weekend. He kills 72 people in a weekend. That is such a huge departure for what that character was in the first film to the second film. And it's those films. Because like, I remember we covered Rambo, and you had said, after watching the first one, that you owe Sylvester Stallone an apology because when people think of Rambo and when people think of Rocky, all they think of is like this testosterone-fueled, macho-like, slug-fest killing spree. That's all they think about because mm -hmm. that's the reputation that all these movies have. Because when you watch the trailers or when you watch, you know, clips or highlights, whatever, you know, from, you know, people who are breaking the films down or talking about them, that's all you see is explosions and guns. And like even the covers of the, the movies are him with guns or his bow and arrow with the exploding arrowheads in the in the second film or him in the the attack chopper in the second well, or in the third film. I remember when we were in the process of doing research and stuff to talk about this character, all of the articles that I read uh, describing how veterans personally thanked uh, Sylvester Stallone for portraying this character in the first film the way that he did, the PTSD, the way that it, you don't know who you are anymore. You don't know where you belong. You don't know, you know, who your friends are, where you fit in, where to go. All after, his friends were dead. You know, after his after being unit. in war, you know, so they felt that they, this character really gave them a voice and to see that on screen and the way that it was portrayed, you know, they just, they felt really seen and it was, you know, Again, I, I, I said I, I feel like I need to give Sylvester Stallone a, an apology because I, it was just not what I was expecting. I was expecting a big, dumb action film, which is, you know, with the second one and then their third, on fourth, and, and fifth. so forth. Like, that's what it became. But that first one, there was so much heart in that first one, uh, you know, and it was just so not what I was expecting at all. Like, no, when he uh, tells the story about his friend getting uh, blown up in the bar in Saigon and then you know he's crying and he's like sometimes I wake up and I don't know where I am you know and I think for for 
veterans especially who have gone through that to see this you know larger than life personalities sylvester stallone breaking it down like that breaking down like that you know um not afraid to to cry not afraid to show emotion and all of these feelings that you know come with the you know the the the, the like the outcome of war you know what i'm trying to say though right like yeah war isn't glorious or glamorous war takes a toll on you no matter how tough you are get to just come home and and live your life and forget everything you know there's there's a lot more to it so i think he did a really beautiful job of capturing that but then the character just turned into something completely an unstoppable killing machine ridiculous and you go from you know the first film having these great just you know uh lines of dialogue between these characters really expressing emotion and getting to people and you know having these these lines of dialogue some of them are just so beautifully written you know it's almost poetic at times and you really feel it and oh to have minimal dialogue during some of these scenes in the other films and it's just you know how many explosions can we get away with showing and you know how many guns can we show when you're parodied by weird al yankovic you know you've you've gone well i mean so the three little pigs did call rambo right well that's what i'm saying like you know all you think of is blowing up an explosion so who's next on your list? So next on my list is a character uh, from a film that we recently watched. It's part of this huge, massive franchise that has taken over the world at this point. Um, Gamora from the MCU. Okay. So here's my issue. They did a really good job with making you care about this character. You know, she was kind of sassy and standoffish when she was introduced in, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy. And then we see, you know, how they affect the outcome of, um, uh, God, what the, the, the end game and the Infinity War and all that stuff. Um, you know, she literally sacrifices herself well, not intentionally. Not intentionally, but she sacrifices. Well, she her. gets she, she, sacrificed. Yes, yes. She gets sacrificed, you know, uh, for Thanos to regain or to, to gain the power that he's the so soul stone. Uh, desired. Um, they're able to bring her back. Through and, time travel. Yeah, stuff. through time travel and whatnot. Um, and who she is now is just a far cry from who she was. Well, it's who she was at the time. Like, she didn't go through this, you know... Right, but it's just, you know, they spent all of this time, and this is my issue, they spent all of this time getting you to care about this character. This is what this character does, this is who this character is, this is this character's, you know, relationship with their sister, this is, you know, their their character arc, you know, you go from caring very little about these characters to caring a lot about these characters, and she went from, like I said, being kind of cold and standoffish and, you know, like, I'm such a badass, to, you know, actually being a badass, and... You know, being this really loving and caring character that does a really good job of keeping her team together. 
Right. Well, she didn't. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, only they're presenting only her for differently. Them, only for them to be like, oh, not anymore. Well, that's because. Right. They explain it. They explain because that's who she was before all this happened and blah, 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 blah. You know what? Just leave her dead. Just leave her dead. Have that character, have that death, and then just leave her there. Why bring her back? Why bring her back and undo everything? Right. No, absolutely. It's all about capitalism. Also, because there's never any stakes with these movies. But, like, why, you know, uh, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, she's gone. She stayed dead. Right, but then she got a solo movie. Right, but that was more of like a prequel type thing. I know, but she then got a solo movie after she died. Right, but she is no longer in the MCU because that character is dead. Right, they got rid of pretty much all of the original Avengers. Right, so why not do the same thing for Gamora? Because the Guardians are like their biggest moneymaker besides... Tony Stark. I just don't understand. Like, it just, I feel, felt like it, it cheapened the character to bring it back. Oh, yeah. No, it did. You know, her going through all of that and being sacrificed and feeling the feelings and having people react that the way that they, you know, the way that they did both on screen, the characters' reactions and, you know, physical people in the audience. Um, you know, only to... I mean, they uh, did it with Loki. They killed Loki, but brought him back. He, he's got he's got season two of his show coming up now. You see, I... I just, because they can't have stakes. They can't have... Unless somebody's contract you know, runs out. and I out. think that's one of the reasons why... So it's it's been a hot minute since we actually watched an MCU film. Well, you... I've been rewatching them. Yeah, you've been okay. Yeah, you've been rewatching them, but I am just I'm I think I'm just done. I I think I'm I'm I really think I'm just done. You know, we have season two of Loki coming out soon. I don't and care. As much as I love Tom Hiddleston, I'm kind of over it. You know, I will. However, I, I the only thing I'm I'm really interested in at this point, and this isn't coming out until 2024. So maybe by then I won't be as fatigued with the with the with the MCU. Um, the Agatha Harkness television show. See that. <laughs> They're trying to cram so much See, other but, shit out. And, I, and it, honestly, it's because I love Catherine Hahn well, so no, much. I mean, and, and they've added Aubrey Plaza to the but mix. The issue so I'm, I, I have, I'm I'm here for that. But like everything else, I'm just I'm just kind of done. They're waiting too long to to do that. Like that should have come out this year. Everything else, like all this other shit that they're trying to cram down everybody's throat, like that can wait. Agatha Harkness is not a character that anyone really knows other than from the WandaVision show. And they're giving her her thing like two years after she she comes out and like isn't in anything else. Like, I think they made a mistake waiting so long to come back to that character is what I'm saying. Like, that's one of those like, Oh, we have no idea who this is. Like, should we expand upon that? Should we do anything with that? Nope. Let's uh, you know, make sure we we get Darcy the intern though. Like, that's a character we need to focus on. Like, let's make sure we do that. Um same thing with the Marvels. Like, everybody knows who Captain Marvel is and they just had that Miss Marvel show, which again, we didn't watch. We also didn't watch She-Hulk. You know, 
we haven't watched the Eternals. We haven't watched Ahsoka. We haven't watched Andor. Like, there's so much because there's too much. Well, and those are also Star Wars too. I know, but, but it's we Disney. Will get to that, right? I feel like Disney is just kind of burning the candle at both ends at this point when it comes to some of our favorite franchises. So I have another character who this is uh, fairly recent. Uh, within the last five years, there have been three movies. Uh, maybe. 75% of a good one. Um, and that's Laurie Strode uh, from Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and then a completely different character in Halloween Ends. When we see her uh, in Halloween uh, 2018, she has been spending 40 years waiting for Michael to come out of prison and Michael to come get her and... I mean, will Michael Myers is another one. It's like, is he supernatural? Isn't he? Is he? Isn't he? Do they have a connection? Is it your sister? Like, ooh, who knows? Like, they can't change. They they can't make up their mind from one movie to the next. But she spends all this time like preparing traps and and like training with weapons and like all this stuff that she does for forty years consecutively. Traps him in the burning house. He gets out somehow escapes, kills a bunch more people after he engages in martial arts combat with firefighters, which, you know, is a common practice. Um, she's injured. She's in the hospital. And the entire town kills some guy who is definitely not Michael Myers, even though they showed what he looked like on TV and... Like, this guy was, like, 5'9", and Michael Myers is, like, almost 7 feet tall. And they're like, yeah, that's totally him. Let's kill him. And then Myers just runs around and kills everybody while she's in the hospital laid up. She goes from, I'm super prepared. Michael's out there. He's coming for me. He's going to try and kill me. He already tried it once when I was a kid. He tried it again 40 years later, and he's still out there. And what do we see her doing? making pies and everything's fine there's no no need to worry she wrote a book yeah she wrote the book so you know that's it you know case closed michael's still out there but eh, why worry about something you can't control she completely changed characters so uh, sidestep for a moment i believe um there was more to the film as to why uh, so the, there there was more to the story so there was some backstory as to you know how she became that way between the second film and the third film but they cut all that out right so therefore non-canonical didn't happen well right but it's just you know it's it's there there is a story there but they decided to not use it right which you know i i which feel like with that... all of the garbage that is stuffed into that third film especially uh, i i didn't particularly care for the second film either Corey can um, go fuck himself but that everything that they they stuffed into that third film they decided to leave that part out that's something that i would have liked to know right they just they changed 180 degrees who Laurie well, Strode was. She was a fucking badass they in that first film. They turned her from a super badass, like, uh, Sarah Connor type character yes. into June Cleaver. Yes. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, well, yeah, she... Yeah, the last thing he did was, you know, kill my daughter, but meh. That's in the past. That's behind me. That's in the past. I'm going to focus on the future. I'm going to focus on burning pies. Like, that's... And 
trying to smooch it up with Will Patton. Like, that's that's what they focused on. So, because see, I'm... I am aware that there are, like in this instance, there are, you know, maybe something that has been uh, filmed or there's a deleted scene. If it's a deleted scene and it's not in the film, not canon, never happens. Uh, if it's, you know, something that was in the script, got cut out, didn't happen. Doesn't count. Doesn't mean anything. Just because it was there, that just goes to show that you thought about it, you knew it was going to be an issue, and you ignored it, which makes it even more egregious in my estimation. So, her from that movie, those two movies, to the third, because her evolution from the first two films into this third one makes a ton of sense. Because I think they even... Uh, I don't know if they even counted the second film. I'm trying to remember if they just counted the first two or just the first one. But either way, Michael was in custody and he never got out of custody, you know, after the 1978 incident because the first two movies take place over the same night. So, I mean, it's six of one, half a dozen of the other. So it makes sense that she would, for 40 years, train herself into this badass that we saw in the 2018 film but then to turn into like oh yeah no big deal yeah i'm just gonna focus on my uh chores and I mean, she went from having this house that was kind of like a death trap you know all of these traps and stuff and all of these it was uh, a home alone alarms. house yes exactly it was exactly. a home alone saw house uh you know to having a home that is just a normal home just a normal home I don't even think it had like ADT or something like that. No, uh, she probably didn't even lock her doors at night. But so, yeah, they completely changed. Do you have anybody else on your list? I you do, actually. So I have one more character on my list, and this is kind of a big character, but it, this character had the potential to be something great. And when they announced this character and they announced who was cast to play this character, I got really excited because I became a fan of this person during Game of Thrones. And when this person was announced to be part of the Star Wars universe, I got really excited. I'm talking about Gwendolyn Christie cast as Captain Phasma in the most recent Last Star Jedi. Wars trilogy. I forget what they're calling it, like the Skywalker series. Or well, something the Skywalker like that. saga is the nine movies, right? But they're, they're call it's it's something the the it's last the sequel three, trilogy, whatever it's there's called the, something. There's the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, and the sequel trilogy, which equals out to the Skywalker saga. Okay, so anyways, they introduced this character in the first film, which is the... Force Awakens. 2016's Force Awakens. Yes. 2015. Um, you know, and, and she has this bit part, but oh my goodness, she is powerful. And, and, and it's the fact that, you know, it's clearly a woman stormtrooper, which, you know, we don't know if there were any before, but, you know, we're just going to assume not. And she is like top-notch like she is like head of all the stormtroopers she is you know just this uber badass you know doing things shooting people shooting shit like uh 
really awesome person in charge, right? So, like, I, I, I loved her automatically because I love Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, but then, you know, she looked... Oh, gosh, can we just talk about her costume design for a moment? Like, she looks so cool. The chrome Stormtrooper getup. Like, it was made from... Uh, uh, Starship armor. You know what? Like it was just Starship it was metal. so so not only did she like look really cool, but she had the perfect attitude for this role as well. And they could have done so much with this character. So we saw her, you know, in that first film doing her thing. Um it seemed like they were setting her up for something big. Like Boba Fett. Yes. She yeah. had a distinctive look. She had a distinctive... Yeah, you know, it's like, why are they setting her apart from everybody else? Oh, something's going to happen. She's going to be, you know, pivotal to the story. Um, you know, it's, it's something. Uh, and then they did nothing. They did nothing with this character. They make her a super badass only to completely tear her down in that second film. And then kill her off in that second film. They too. at She's least not gave her in. a fight scene. They did, but it was... Ryan Johnson said he wasn't even going to put her in there until like the studio and other people were like, why would you not put this character in? Like Everybody was freaking out. So he's like, oh, okay, so let me have her crushed by a, an ad-ad driven by BB-8. Like, yeah. Like, it was a waste of the character. But... You know, I mean, granted, there wasn't much of a character arc there because, again, she was a bit player, but they, it seemed... They, they gave the illusion that they were building towards something really great and that she was going to have, like, a big part of the story. You know, eventually, like, something was going to happen and she would be responsible for... for you know something she was, and gonna, it was be going JJ's to be jj's boba fett you know and it was going to be huge and um you know so, so we just assumed okay a small part in the first film an even bigger part in the second film and then and then she's probably you know like the third film that's going to be it only to have fucking ryan johnson kill her off in that second film because he didn't know what else to do with her granted yeah she did have a pretty badass like fight scene for the most part even though they decided this indestructible armor somehow became destructible well i mean there was a lot it wasn't indestructible armor it's just better than the armor that the stormtroopers wear which was plastic oh, right so but regardless like, it wasn't beskar completely no it wasn't beskar but it, they, they still i will never forgive ryan johnson for doing captain phasma as dirty as he did uh if we're going to talk about characters just as a side because this always fires me up characters done dirty by ryan johnson how about Killing off Admiral Akbar off screen, introducing a totally new character, Laura Dern's character, Admiral Holdo, Vice Admiral Holdo, to give her the heroic, like, fly into Lightspeed to destroy uh, what's his name's ship. And that's partially what killed Phasma um, when that should have been Admiral Akbar. Like, you have this iconic character that everybody knows. Even if you haven't seen the movie, everybody knows, it's a trap, you know? Like, he's an important part of the rebellion forever. And it's like, no, we're going to introduce a new character and they're going to be the hero instead. Why? So that's just one of my many, many, many nitpicks with that particular movie. But my last one, and 
This actually made sense uh, because it was a 10-year gap, but it was a drastic change for this character. I'm going with Evelyn Carnahan slash O'Connell from The Mummy 1 and 2. So she went from a librarian into, a librarian. into the super badass ninja karate fighting reincarnation of Nefertiri. So, I mean, it made sense in the story, but it's like such a huge departure from who the character was in the first movie to who she was in the second movie. Like, she wasn't... She didn't really use as much of her knowledge and book smarts in the second movie. Um, she was more of an action star, and it was her kid... It was Alex that did most of the the intellectual stuff. So, I don't know. That's uh, so that's my list. That's your list. Do you have a list? We'd love to hear it. Uh, let us know. Throw down Thursday podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear about what your list is. Uh, if you agree or disagree with any of the picks that we have. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to discuss Jonas Taylor uh, from the Meg franchise. So we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. shark that ever existed a living fossil thought to have been extinct over two million years wrong my god it's megalodon he's kidding right See 
And that thing's out there. You need to find it and kill it. Why don't you just put a tracker on it? Did you guys ever watch Shark Week? He looks heroic, but he's kind of got a negative attitude. Chew on this, you ugly. And we are back. That, of course, was the trailer for 2018's The Meg, which I was super excited about because I am a big fan of this book series, and I have been for about, Jesus, 12, 13 years, um, you know, when I first read them. Um, One of the things, if you've seen my live reaction video to The Meg 2 trailer, one of the first things I talked about was how disappointed I was that the image from the front cover, which features a Meg dragging a T-Rex to its death uh, in the water, was not featured in the first film. Lo and behold, the opening scene of the second movie contained that exact set piece. So I did get my giant shark versus dinosaur uh, battle that I was hoping to get. So that kind of made up for it. But yeah, so the depiction of Jonas Taylor is very, very different in the book than in uh, in the films. In the, in the book, is he also played by Jason Statham? He is not. Uh, so basically the background of, of the character in the book, and we're going to, you know, so I'm just going to do this quick because there's not a whole lot to him. Uh, as far as what his backstory is, but it, even that is significantly different um, from the film. So in the book, he was born in 1956, and he was a deep-sea diver and sub-pilot working for the U.S. Navy on a top-secret dive into the Mariana Trench. There was an accident that took the lives of two other of his... Uh, the other scientists that were in the the sub with him, he was the sole survivor, and he claimed, uh, to the disbelief of everyone, that they were attacked by a giant shark. No one believes him, because why would they? They figure, you know, much like in in the movie, that he was suffering from some sort of ocean madness, or, you know, whatever the technical term is that they used. Um, he leaves the Navy. I forget if he's discharged or if he's or if he leaves voluntarily. But I think they gave him a psych discharge. He becomes a paleontologist and is hell bent on proving that the Meg exists. And what happens in the book, obviously, again, much different. There's nothing really about the thermocline like acting as a physical barrier to this whole underwater ecosystem is there's another dive with a newer sub and it's attacked by a megalodon in the trench and 
somehow gets wrapped up with all these different cables, very similar to how Captain Ahab uh, dies or how Quint dies in the book. Uh, and they are able to escape. Uh, the Meg dies because it just gets all tangled and gets ripped open. A second Megalodon survives the brutal temperature change by kind of ramming itself, almost like Han and Luke in the Tauntaun, like ramming itself into the gushing blood and viscera of the dead Meg as it is being towed up to the surface. And that's the way that they uh, explain how this one gets up into, you know, our level of the uh, abyssal plane. So that's basically who Jonas is. He's in the books uh, for 27 years. He starts off at 39 in the beginning of the Meg and at the end of uh, Hell's Aquarium, Jonas is 66 years old. He's in seven of the nine novels. Uh, there's Meg, a novel of deep terror, The Trench, Meg Primal Waters, Meg Hell's Aquarium, which there was some of that in uh, in uh, the Meg 2. Uh, Meg Origins, Meg Nightstalkers, and Meg Generations. I've only read the first four. I don't think I've read Origins, Nightstalkers, or Generations, but that's who Jonas Taylor is in the books. He is not an action star. He is not a deep-sea rescue sub-pilot man. He is... A guy, a scientist, basically. So, unlike, you know, his film counterpart, who, uh, their origin story is similar, where uh, Jonas Taylor... Um, Jason Statham a, version. Yeah, the Jason Statham version. Version. He is a rescue diver. He's attempting to, uh, a rescue. Uh, he was able to save all but two people. Right. And he saved was, 11, lost two. Yeah, and it was heavily uh, reprimanded because he couldn't save everybody. And He literally uh, closed the hatch on them. Like, they were begging him to, like, like, oh, we can get there. And it's like, he made the judgment call, like, if we don't leave now, we will all die. These guys are trapped in a compartment. There is no way to get to them. It sucks. I hate it. They're my friends. Like, they're the other two guys who came with me to rescue this this sub. Uh, so basically, they would take a sub to go down to, you know, any, like, say, a, a Navy sub or whatever was uh, malfunctioning and or damaged or something mm -hmm. happened, uh, they would go down there and they would perform a rescue. The doctor that was on there, Heller, um, was giving him all kinds of shit. He's like, you can't leave those men to die. You can't leave those. And he just never let him forget it until an actual Megalodon shows up, like, five years later right well what i was gonna say though but unlike the his his book counterpart uh instead of seeking revenge by becoming a paleontologist and proving that megalodons exist uh jason 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 uh jason jonas uh jason jonas? jason jonas jonas jason becomes an alcoholic 
Yeah, he uh, he just turns to booze. It's not that he becomes an alcoholic. He does drink a lot, but he basically just lives in Thailand above a bar and does like fixing engines and like you above know, a bowling alley and uh, below, below another, another bowling, bowling alley and a one room apartment. No, he uh, he's doing like odd jobs and you know not really worrying about anything that has to do with the ocean other than like fishing and you know just relaxing like he's he's all set like he's, he's taking just care kind of, of existing he's probably living off of some sort of pension like coast guard or something i think he might have been with the coast guard or some sort of like he had to have had some sort of military training in order to i believe it was marines see i they don't ever say so it's like eh. but like it again it may have been the coast guard i'm just going by the orange outfits um so yeah he and he did what he needed to do once he was done he was like i'm not going back in the water i'm not doing any of that stuff until his ex-wife goes on the on the uh expedition into the thermocline into this whole new ecosystem and they're attacked by a megalodon so I do want to kind of sidestep for a moment here and talk about the creature design of the Megalodon. Um, and one of the issues, one of the big issues I have with the shark itself is the fact that if it's located that deep in the ocean, and I believe it was, what, 47 meters down uncaged? Yes. They got it right. Yeah, it was blind and albino. And in the Meg, the shark is blind and albino. Like, that's why, like, in uh, Hell's Aquarium, they refer to the one that they have in the aquarium as Angel because it has almost like a halo around it because it's pure white and reflects light kind of like the moon right. on a hazy night. So there's a certain point when you reach a certain depth in the ocean that none of the creatures there will have any type of pigmentation because it's not necessary. Right. And most of them are blind because there's no light. So once you hit what's called the twilight zone, it's around, I want to say 700 feet. That's where the light starts to dim. And around that area from like the neck, it's, uh, I want to say it's the Hadel zone named after Hades where it's just black. There are a lot of creatures that uh there are luminescent bioluminescent. Yes. yes, they they produce their own lights. Hatchet fish, I'm uh, not sorry, angler fish which mm -hmm. have like the little thing. If you've seen Finding Nemo, you know exactly what that yes. is. Yes. Uh but cuttlefish can produce lights. Uh, there's a lot of different fish that produce their own bioluminescence to attract prey because there's no other light in the Hadal zone. Um, this is deeper than that. This is way past that, and I want to say it's the abyssal zone. I might be swapping those. No, I think I think you are correct. I think it is the abyssal zone. Um, 
but yeah so the fact that the meg megalodon portrayed in these films they they're, they're pigmented they do well they they, they do see they're not okay. blind it goes the sunlight zone then the twilight zone where it starts to lose light the midnight zone the abyssal zone and then the hadal zone so it's the epipelagic the mesopelagic bathypelagic abyssopelagic and hadal zone which is the trenches so that's i had them i had them swapped so it's okay and so yeah so abyssal that's, then hadal right so it's that final zone that's where the thermocline is yeah they were thinking that the thermocline was a false bottom of the ocean that would actually go deeper than that. And they were like, well, you know, we, we think it's the sea floor, but the whole purpose of mana one, the, um, I keep wanting to call it a space station, the ocean <laughs> research, ocean research station, uh, in the film and in the, in the books, uh, the whole thing was, we think there's something deeper than this thermocline and we think we can go through it we don't think it's a solid uh barrier we think it's kind of like basically they made it look like clouds mm. i mean and it's you know a hundred feet thick or so depending on what the plot needs from movie to movie <laughs> yeah kind of like the geography of springfield with the simpsons it changes based on whatever jokes they might be telling um, I believe in the book they were just researching in the trench and trying to get down to the trench and it's very difficult um, you know again a side note one of the science things that I did not like in the second movie was they were all in suits breathing oxygen the pressure on the outside would be way too much and it would just crush them the one movie that got it right the abyss the breathable almost amniotic fluid mm. that uh ed harris i almost said ed o'neill ed harris Different was guy. breathing uh that's a real thing 100 percent. like when the guy takes the rat and puts it in there like that was a real rat in that real fluid and the reason why they would use the fluid is because there's not a pressure change. Like the fluid, if it, the fluid fills up the whole suit. And so like, if you take a water balloon and you bring it down and there's no air in that balloon, uh, think about the Titan sub, the reason why the Titan sub imploded any small crack. And we see this in the movie, uh, as well as the abyss, a small crack, uh, will destabilize the pressure on either side. And when you're at those depths, you're not breathing the same oxygen mixture. Right. Well, it also has to do with, like, density and whatnot, too. So uh, the it's, it's easier for the pressure to kind of balance out if you are consuming, like, so, you know, obviously uh, water is denser than air. So right. they're going to have two different pressures. The pressures can't balance out. That's why. That's why you, the that's suit why, would crush. Exactly. That's why it's going to crush upon you. Like you would, you would implode. Um, however, 
you know, if you are breathing, if, 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 if you are in liquid while being in liquid, the pressure is, you know, of, it's of almost a similar, like not wearing a suit, you know, of a similar density, except um, it's uh keeping you from getting crushed right right but the the pressure is able because there's enough liquid there there's almost like a liquid barrier you know in within the suit you know creating a barrier between you and the suit it's and not then... it's not that it's you're breathing the liquid your lungs are full well that and that too so your lungs otherwise your well, lungs would say, explode you don't have any air inside of you at that point very minimal and it's not gonna it's not gonna be but there's enough of a barrier with the water the, the the liquid that you are submerged the suit is in. keeping you warm but right but the suit is also keeping that specific liquid in Right, but I mean, it's if, if it's the That's same. That's like the the liquid is able to balance out with the pressure that you are surrounded. Right. by. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like instead of air, basically you're breathing this in, so everything stays the same. It's filling your lungs. It's you know traveling through. Like you're still gonna have some. So it's not a hundred percent. Like you wouldn't be able to get to that depth. You know. You know. 32,000 feet down. Yeah, no, they absolutely, yeah, that you absolutely would not be able to do that. Because you're not going to see, you're not going to, there's no bioluminescence down there. Uh, there's no, you know, there's nothing like that. You know, I will give these films credit for uh, the fact that this is probably, I mean, and it, it, it's very, um, somebody kind of did their homework when it comes to the plant and animal life that is down on well, they the Well, they based it floor. off of Alton's work. You know, um, so, you know, there is a lot of bioluminescence. There is a lot of, you know, you, you, you do see um, some albino species. There's a lot of albinism down there, yep. Um, you know, when they have the suits on and they're walking the bottom of the trench, that is probably the closest that you know and i know it's make-believe it's it's all imagined but that's the closest that some of us will ever get to seeing the bottom of the ocean floor the actual bottom of the ocean floor like it's it's it, 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 they do a really good job of capturing that that's what i'm trying to say like i i can envision that being exactly what that is i don't know if we as humans will ever get to the bottom of the ocean well it's happened a couple times. So the deepest part of the ocean is called the Challenger Deep. And the reason it's called the Challenger Deep is because it was first reached by the HMS Challenger. That record was broken by James Cameron in his Deep Sea Challenger. His name is James, James Cameron, Cameron, the bravest pioneer. No budget too deep. No things. No, it's that. that. It's, it's him, James, James Cameron. Cameron. <laughs> Depth he got, okay, 35,756 feet down. That's because he got that Titanic money. He said, surface, this is Deep Sea Challenger. I am on the bottom. Depth is 35,756 feet. Life support's good. Everything looks good. Only now does it occur to me that I might have prepared something more memorable, like one small step for man. He said, you don't see anything. Uh, he took some samples. They found 68 new species, mostly uh, invertebrates and bacteria. Uh, he had to get all the way up 
um, a lot of his systems failed on his way up. Uh, where he was, the pressure was 16,000 pounds per square inch. He was not breathing regular oxygen. You have to breathe uh, helium. Like if you watch the abyss, the decompression sequence, uh, it takes three hours to decompress to that depth and then eight weeks, give or take, to recompress. So when you're on the bottom of the ocean, like people who work underwater for a long time, when they come back up, they have to decompress in special like hyperbaric chambers for days to weeks at a time. So it's... uh kind of crazy but his uh his window was nine inches thick wow which it would and it's you know not just regular glass it's you know specialized tempered glass that is made to withstand this type of pressure and yeah it's it's nasty uh it's a nasty environment uh which just tells me we shouldn't be there but uh, I digress. So we see Jonas go from "I'm a rescuey guy." Well, you, you know, we, you know, we we see him go. He's from... a hotshot subpilot. We he, see him when he goes to do the rescue. He's just like, "I'm gonna hop in. I'm gonna turn off all these things, and I'm just gonna zoom down there." Even though I haven't yeah, been this in here ain't, for months. This ain't his first rodeo. He's done this numerous times. But he's not been in really... this particular he's, sub. Well, you know, he's been fairly, you know, I mean, obviously successful at it to this point, and then all right. of a sudden he wasn't as successful. But he, he couldn't. He had never driven one of these subs. He knew the basic system because Cliff Curtis's character Mac was a friend of his so like mm -hmm. they helped design some of the subsystems together which i don't think they get into explicitly but i think it's implied um but like when they found him earlier in the day he is you know he's been drinking he's partially hung over he's a little worse for wear he's but he's still in amazing shape somehow. Well, yeah, because he's Jason Statham. I know, but he's also Jonas Taylor. So you would think that someone who spent years just drinking themselves stupid might have gained a few pounds and didn't have a six-pack anymore. But whatever. Um, so he goes from this hotshot rescue pilot, you know, sub-pilot, to international super spy well that's in that's in the second film so you know his character arc in the in the first film um one of the things like so at the beginning of the film you see his failed rescue mission well not so, it failed in the sense that he left behind two people but he also saved 11 people but uh he believes that this was caused by i don't know if he actually i, I can't remember does he say megalodon or just it's like a Mark? megalodon yeah. yeah in the so, first one uh yeah so he believes that he saw a megalodon and everybody thinks that he's crazy and well you can of... see in the opening explosion you can see a shark blow up which i didn't know until i watched 
like a breakdown video of the movie, you see a shark. So that just raises the question, how did that shark get out of the thermocline? Right. So, you know, in the first film establishes the existence of the thermocline and what happens is during that rescue mission to go save the ex-wife, they rip a hole in the thermocline and a megalodon escapes and thus confirming you know he's like i'm i'm not crazy well Megalodons we saw that do we exist. saw it in the in the trench when uh su yin um goes down there and she gets attacked by the by the uh squid yes. and then the megalodon eats the squid and he's like oh it's a giant shark and he's like it's a megalodon like that's and they're like oh we all owe Jonas an apology. But the part of the thing that got him down there in the first place was his ex-wife before their transmission cut out when they got attacked saying, Jonas was right. Tell Jonas he was right. You know, like, mm -hmm. meaning it's a giant goddamn shark that's attacking us. Right. So they create this riff in the... Thermocline Megalodon escapes and then obviously they have to kill the shark and that's mm -hmm. the premise of the the first film is you know Jason Statham you know first he's badass rescue guy then he's badass let me kill the shark guy and they kill the shark only to find out there's an even bigger one that's twice the size of the first one yes and fun fact about Jason Statham um, he really is kind of impressive. Uh, in real life, Jason Statham is an expert swimmer. In the 1990 Commonwealth Games, he represented England in diving. Footage of him competing can be found online. Most of the shots of him in the water are real. A stunt double was obviously used for more hazardous shots. I told you that when we were watching it, because I was like, I know it seems crazy, and like they really lean into like him swimming around, and I think that's part of the reason why he took this role. But he was like, I couldn't remember exactly. I didn't remember it was a Commonwealth game, but I knew he was like an Olympic level like diver. Like, yeah, it's it's pretty crazy, and they definitely lean into the fact that he is an action star, and the fact that he is capable of doing pretty much all of his own stunts not 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 completely in, all within but reason pretty much all of water based uh, uh yeah and some of the other ones because i mean he's done enough stuff where he's been trained to you know do certain things and a lot of the, his fight scenes he, he is he, a martial right, artist you know he knows the safety aspects of some things i mean obviously when it comes to like the more experienced stuff yeah a, a, a professional steps in but yeah you know, anything he, that requires wires or harnesses getting yanked through the air it's kind of like a tom cruise in the sense that he is more than willing and almost prefers to do as many stunts as he possibly can. Uh, Tom does a lot more. Like, well, but I mean, Tom Cruise is also just fucking crazy. He is. He's nuts. Like, he really did that that Mission Impossible thing where he was hanging on to the side of the plane. He really did that. So that was wild. But you do kind of see a little bit of a character arc with Jonas because, you know, obviously he he sobers up in the first film. He's, you know, becomes the he becomes the hero again. Uh, he saves lives. He, you know, um, develops a soft spot for Su Yin and Mei Ying. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, to the point where apparently they get married during the five years between the first film and the second film. And, and she, she dies also dies screen. Uh, somehow between the first and film and And they don't the really film. touch on it other than that one stupid scene where... Uh, the little girl was talking to the, 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 the Meg- Megalodon that they have kind of in captivity, but not really. Which is like, uh, again, partly part of Hell's Aquarium, where they're like, oh, do you... Like, it's literally her looking at the shark as do the shark approaches... Do you miss your the- mom? Yeah, you miss your mom, too. And, like, that was it. Ten seconds. And it's like, that was kind of wacky. Um, but, oh, well, like, that's... So we see Jonas Taylor go from that. So instead of becoming a paleontologist, he becomes an environmentalist. But he's not just one of those guys taking pictures of people dumping waste. He's also uh, a fucking ninja, which is fine he's for Jason James Statham. James Bond of eco-terrorists. Yeah, well, not eco-terrorist. He wouldn't be an eco-terrorist. No, he's like the, the James Bond for, like, eco... For, he's like... He's, 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 yeah. He's like Captain Planet. Like, he's... he's <laughs> except he doesn't turn people into trees. Heart! Oh. He, uh... He, uh... Manages to fight an entire boat full of people and then jumps off the boat when he's cornered and Mac and... I forget the young lady's name... Uh, dive down with the plane, open up the cargo bay, and scoop him up like a fucking pelican catching a fish. It, I didn't care for that part, to be completely honest. Um, and then he stays in that compartment, which is full of water, for some unknown period of time, but he's got a little breathy bottle of air that he sticks in his face and, like, breathes underwater for whatever... I don't. I. I don't know. It it drove me nuts. But so yeah. So this is where our getting into character question came from because you know he goes from being this general badass in the first film. I mean, still a badass, but it's like it's almost like the Meg Two could really be split into two different films. You have the opening part where he's Captain planet Mm -hmm. and doing you know fighting against eco-terrorists and all this stuff uh and then they find themselves you know back in the trenches uh quite literally yeah yeah quite literally back in the trenches um again uh i don't even know why they went down there um they were down. I'm trying to remember. They went down there because, like, they found something, right? Yeah, they there found, was there was something going on, and they went down there and they found. Oh, they were mapping they, the ocean floor. Oh, okay, yes. Okay. It was a survey okay, mission. Okay, so it was a survey mission. Yes, that is correct. It was a survey mission. They were mapping the ocean floor. They were in their little like water submarine scuba buggies. Scuba buggies. Scuba buggies. Oh my god! Uh, 
they were in their little scuba buggies and they were going down to the trenches because they were going to map parts of the ocean floor that they had yet to map. Under the thermocline where they had been studying, like they had mapped right. most of and it. Right, and they have like more stuff set up and, and, and whatnot. And something something had happened. Both, both water buggies got into accidents. Because there was... Um, they found another um they found like an entire facility already built on the bottom of the ocean and the guys that were down there were part of the uh people dumping shit yeah it's almost like they were mining the ocean floor yeah they were they were trying to get specific resources which is only... really meta if you think about it and in order to not be caught the guy detonated all the the charges and that buried the two subs and everybody had to get out and walk. Yeah, so they were trying to get to this one location where they would all be safe. And, of course, a couple of people didn't make it. So, like, that's, like, one part of the film is them walking the ocean floor uh, in an attempt to save themselves while trying to figure out exactly uh, what caused their water buggies to not work anymore and... uh you know, trying to figure out exactly uh, who, who was at the root, yeah. Yeah, exactly who, who was at the root of all of this. Um, and then the second part was this big crazy action film with boat chases and dinosaurs, dinosaurs, yeah, and like sharks versus giant octopuses, mercenaries. And... It was the squid. It was a kraken. It was rolling stuck cracking. And it was the thing that drove me nuts because there was another character, DJ, who in the first film didn't know how to swim. In this film, he is defeating armed mercenaries while unarmed. Like, he's all of a sudden fucking Batman because well, he he's got his... like, Well, yeah, so in the first film, he was this victim and he decided that he wasn't going to He wasn't be the a victim. victim. Well, no, but he... He just, he didn't know he didn't... how to swim and which was stupid because he's out in the middle of literally no, the middle of the also, ocean is like, where he, he didn't worked. necessarily know how to defend himself well why would he have to ways. he was a scientist right but he didn't know how to defend himself in multiple ways in the first one and he also did not know how to swim so in the second one he knows how to defend himself he's, in multiple he's batman. ways he's fucking batman he has a backpack full of gadgets right he's batman and he knows kung fu yeah he defeated a team of armed fucking mercenaries without, you know, eventually he pulls out a gun, a impractical Desert Eagle 50 caliber, but, like, he was fighting everybody and, like, just, again, turned into fucking Batman, like, without any hint or preview that that's who he was. And so you have Jonas Taylor, again, being this big, dumb action guy. He's not dumb. He's smart. He's actually really resourceful. Uh, and then at the end, he's like, oh, yeah, stepdaughter, I love you. Oh, yeah. I have a heart of gold. Well, yeah, like there was a little bit of that here and there. Like, it was manufactured. Like, there really was no. And they brought back some of the people from the first one. 
like the 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 people that are getting married, like that whole wedding party. Now it was like almost their honeymoon, and they had the same fucking dog. Ooh, the cute little dog, Pippin. Oh God, like yeah, there are there are several nods to like the Jaws franchise and, and in some point other shark franchises. It's blatantly stated. Oh, I yeah. even have poison bullets like Jaws too. It's like oh come on. It's supposed to be an homage, not like, I am doing this. Thanks, Exposition Joe. Like, ugh. DJ stands for Exposition. But yeah, Taylor is not the only one who does this. Like, even Mac, some for some reason, Cliff Curtis in the first film and the second film, Mac suddenly has a New Zealand accent and sounds like fucking Taika Waititi. I don't understand that. He had no accent in the first film. Now in this one, he's like, hey, look out, Jonas. There's a giant shark there. All right. We're going to try and fly away. Uh, I can fly a helicopter. Can you fly a helicopter? You can? Oh, that's convenient. Now we're going to try to get away. We're out in the middle of the ocean, and there's a big shark, and he's biting people, and he's eating everyone, and oh, good gravy. Oh, I've been attacked by a kraken. Like... Where did that fucking voice come from? It's kind of like how Elizabeth Olsen went from, like, I have a vaguely Eastern European accent in uh, Avengers 2 to I don't have any accent whatsoever. It's like, why? Why don't you have an accent anymore? Eh! Forgot it at home. Uh, left it. Left it in my other coat. So there's... <sighs> There's a lot about Taylor's character that doesn't make sense. Well, I feel like if they had followed the books a little bit more... uh... You would have had a character more akin to, like... Because these aren't action movies. Well, they are now. Well, they're not action stories, is what I mean to say. Well, they are now. Well, they shouldn't (laughs) was. I feel like there could be a marriage between the two if if done properly. Yeah, they could um, definitely do it better than it was done. Really, and and fun fact. So apparently, they had been trying to get this like the the book series. They have been trying to get the book series made into for a, long uh, a film for a long time. And initially, it was supposed to star George Clooney. That would make sense. Uh, I was trying to think of somebody who is like around. The age that would make sense, but I mean, even uh, um, Michael Keaton. Speaking of like Batman actors, you know, but then obviously they just went, you know, took took a complete left turn with the 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 films and branched completely off of of what the source material was. I mean, the really uh, only similarities really at this point are, you know, the name. And some of the characters, the, yeah, you know, Jonas the is the it, same, but pretty much everybody else is different, right? But even but then, like the the character of Jonas is completely different, right? But I mean, like even the names of some of the characters, like they they made them Chinese instead of Japanese um, to appeal to the larger market because that's what a lot of movies have to do now is you have to appeal to. Uh, the Chinese market in order to gain better international audiences. Like if you notice the first one, the whole second act takes place in China. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, there really isn't, you know, too, too much to unpack, unpack you know, when it comes to a character like this, because it's, uh, it, it's really character-wise. So even though, like we said, the second film kind of feels like two completely different films, um, the character of Jonas Taylor himself is kind of one note. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't... He doesn't do a whole lot. Like he's kind of smarmy and smart alecky. Um, you know, it's fun, but like, it's just it's not the play. You know, if you're looking for big fun summer blockbuster esque, like something with that kind movie. of yeah, something for you know that kind of vibe, then this film and these characters and, and, and again like these characters they're enjoyable to watch for the most part you know but it just it is what it is you're not going to get something you know you're not going to leave the theater feeling like a better person or like your heart got ripped out or you know you're not going to go through a whole you know uh, a roller coaster of emotions with these you know uh with these films you know you're not gonna you're gonna go on a ride with these characters absolutely and you're gonna have some fun but these aren't you know the type of characters that you really want to like they're not memorable like they're really not memorable where i feel as the book counterpart probably is a bit more memorable yeah like jonas does a lot more and because he's not an action superstar he's more of a scientist he has to rely more on, you know, his wits and, you know, hoping like oh, there's to be honest, there's a lot of blind luck that happens like, oh, the shark is attacking and destroying a bunch of stuff and just lost interest in us and swam away. It's like, well, that was lucky. So it's like there's that. But, you know, it's not like. All right, I'm gonna ride a jet ski and I'm gonna make them all chase me and I'm gonna throw bombs in their face. Ooh, crikey, that's what I'm gonna do. Like, there, there's none of that. You know, there's like, oh, I've been fashioning a harpoon while we're rowing this raft. Oh, the mercenaries all got eaten by the giant shark, but eh, he left us alone. <laughs> like, that's. Like, that's, it's weird. Uh, and there is a lot of, like, a, the similar themes that take place in the second movie, or in the second book, in the trench. Uh, it's very similar, but there were no fucking Iron Man suits in the book. There were no Iron Man suits that allowed them to walk across the bottom, and certainly not enough to fit random stowaways that they didn't count on having there. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I didn't... Little teenage girls. Yeah, it's like, oh, there just happens to be one that fits you and will allow you to comfortably walk across the ocean floor. Hooray! Like, yeah, it... it there's a lot of convenience and plot contrivance, but again, if you're watching this for scientific accuracy, you're not going to find it. <laughs> Good luck. But... What do I always say? As long as you're consistent with your science, I'm fine. And I will give these films credit for that. They kind of create these rules and they they stick to those rules. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is how we killed the Meg the first time. We're not going to do the same thing the second time. And I will say this. I do appreciate the way that they killed the Meg the first time. 
which Meg, like because they again well, they the killed one that two. They, so the one that they ripped open. With, yeah, he cut it open after... And said that he was going to let evolution... Well, he he first, which is ridiculous, he jams the poison spear into its eye. And then as it falls, he rips it open and lets the other sharks frenzy mm-hmm. at him. Yeah, so I But I the thought... first one they poisoned, they're like, well, this much would take down an orca. And they're like, all right, use all of what we have. And it killed the shark. Which again had a very Jaws, uh, a Jaws-like ending where it's like it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it dies right before it gets them. Okay, like that's what happened to Brody at the end of Jaws. Um, and they bring it up, and they're like, "All right, hey, right, everything's great. Ooh, and we still have forty-five minutes left in this movie. Like, oh, hopefully, none of us get eaten." And then a bunch of them got eaten. Mm-hmm. So. I was disappointed that uh, Ruby Rose didn't come back because I really liked her character from the first mm, one. Same. Jax. Um, she was good. I would have liked to have seen her take over that DJ role. That would have been a little more believable. Yeah, I. although I will say DJ did get pretty friggin' jacked. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a physical transformation between the first and second. I mean, I'll buy, yeah, you've been taking self-defense classes. Yeah, you bought a gun. Yeah, you're prepared now and you learned to swim. You you hit hit the gym. You've taken care of yourself. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Like, that's fine. Because it has been five years since. But to the point where it's like, I can defeat all of this, all of these mercenaries by myself. Yeah, but that's more than five years worth of of combat training right there. That's a little too much for me to deal with. But it's all right. You know, the the whole thing. So I did hear rumor that depending on how, and and again, this was the same rumor that came after the first one. It's like, oh, depending on how this film does, there might be another one. Yeah. So depending on how Meg 2 goes, there's already a a, a script or there was a script uh, pre-strike, like in the process of being drafted. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, I'm like, I feel like I am uniquely qualified to reboot certain franchises or to do sequels to certain franchises like Silence of the Lambs, the Hannibal series. Like, I still have retained more. Like, how many times did we watch the those that show? And I was like, that was from the book. That was from this. That was from this. That's from that. And, like, I could recall it without having to look anything up. How many times? Is, is this your pitch to direct Meg 3? Well, I mean, if somebody's listening and wants me to direct Meg 3, Warner Brothers, like, I'm available, and I work cheap. Like, I won't bankrupt the studio. I'm just saying. But not that cheap, because his wife is expensive. Yes. But... You know, well, I think that's a good spot to kind of break this down and wrap it up. And so we're going to come back in a few minutes. Uh, We're going to play an ad and we'll play the uh, the theme song. One of the many theme themes from uh, the Meg. And uh, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up and give you a preview of what's coming up. We got battle results. And uh, yeah, so we'll be right back.
Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast. It's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. enjoyed that uh, long rambly discussion about Jonas Taylor and the uh, other characters from the Meg how they uh, kind of adapted and improvised and overcame uh, much like Bear Grylls uh, but in the water um, so you know I, I don't think people realize this but you often get mistaken for Jason Statham I do uh, it's very very common uh, so I sometimes will carry around a sign that says uh, no, I am not Jason Statham. Yes, I will sign an autograph. No, I will not sign it, Jason Statham. So, um, I do, I do have to occasionally put that sign up. Um, I mean, the likeness is uncanny, really. That's why I, you know, I need to dye my beard so people are like, oh my god, look what Jason Statham did. It's like I, I keep telling you, I'm like, why aren't you talking with your accent? It's like, well, because I'm not Jason Statham. Like that's that's the main reason. But I do want to say one thing that I really liked from this, and this is another kind of Jaws reference, which you didn't get because you haven't seen Jaws 3, but there is a scene where there is a shot of uh, everybody looking through uh, from the... basically looking out through the shark's mouth. So, like, you're behind its teeth, and you can see uh, the shark... uh, eating people, and it's just a mouthful of people that it's just, like forcing down its gullet. It's really cool and it's uh, definitely an homage to Jaws 3 because there's several of those shots in that movie, but uh, just watch a clip of it. You don't have to watch Jaws 3 to find to find that scene. Um, so you have battle results for us. I do have battle results. So last episode, we threw down Finish Him! Battle of... <sighs> Bless you. Oh, Battle teasing. of survival. You are being attacked by a vicious man-eating shark. However, you are not alone. Which totally jawsome shark slayer do you choose to join you on your oceanic escapade to increase your chance of survival? And you could choose from Quint from Jaws, Finn Shepard from Sharknado, Jonas Taylor from The Meg, Carter Blake from Deep Blue Sea, or Majama from Bad CGI Sharks. I chose Majama. uh, You all voted for Carter Blake, Deep Blue Sea. All right, Thomas Jane's character. I worked with Thomas Jane. 
uh, on Salvation, which has yet to be released. But um, I voted for Majama because I think that would be the most fun, uh, you know, shark adventure. But that's me. So, what do we have coming up? What are we talking about next week? We decided this on the way home, listening to another podcast. Yeah, so we were listening to the Creatures of the Night podcast by the Boulet Brothers. And they were doing, so every episode, they they, they, they kiki a little bit. They spill a little tea. They talk about some horror news. They do a, a film review. And this week, and, and sometimes it's a new release, and sometimes it's an older film that maybe they haven't seen, or maybe one that they have seen, just haven't seen in a long time, or whatever. Um, and this week, they were talking about Young Frankenstein, and that got me thinking, oh my god, we have not talked about Gene Wilder's Victor Frankenstein from Young Frankenstein. No, and you know, if you've paid attention to Shark Bites over the last couple of years, uh, I did do a series with a ton of guests um, covering some Mel Brooks films, but we did not talk Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein is uh, one of my favorite films, um, one of my favorites uh, that I used to watch with my dad all the time. Uh, same with you. Well, I didn't watch this one with my dad. Like oh. I had to actually, the first time I watched it was with you. I hadn't actually ever seen it until we first started dating a long, long, long time ago. Um, but uh, but it's become one of my favorite films. It's definitely up there. Uh, and it's so good. Oh, and the character actors involved with this, it's just, uh, we'll, we'll absolutely just dive into it next week. And I cannot wait to talk about it with you guys. But yeah, we are going to be discussing Gene Wilder's Victor Frankenstein and the plethora of other characters that are in Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. Yeah, like there's so much. And, and I then wanna... just the, the the brilliance alone that is Young Frankenstein. So I used to think that, uh, and and I've seen, I've seen quite a few Mel Brooks films. Um, I haven't seen all of them, which is just a travesty. And I know I need to get on that. I know, I know, I know. We have the Blu-ray uh, set. But I used to think that Spaceballs was the best Mel Brooks film. Um, and it, it, don't get me wrong, it's it is it is great. I love Spaceballs. That is one that I used to watch with my dad quite frequently. Um, but I I think I think it might be Young Frankenstein. Yeah, I mean, that's... I, I think you know it's just especially being a fan of horror, being a fan of black and white horror, uh, all of these classic films, Universal monster films, and oh, uh, it's just it's just so good. It's campy and delicious, and uh, yeah. So I cannot wait to talk about with that uh, with you guys next week. Um, we'll have a new battle for you uh, next week as well. We'll be throwing that down. And we have some big, 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 big news to talk to you guys about next, next week, week too. Next week, yeah, very like, exciting. Huge news. So you're going to want to stay tuned from start to finish because you do not want to miss what is coming up. And it's the beginning of spooky season, so expect more horrific, horror-adjacent characters coming your way. Yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to do 31 Days of Horror, but I know we will be doing... Uh, we'll be doing every Thursday in October horror. 
No, I know, but I'm gonna. <laughs> I think what we should try to do is watch some horror films that we've never seen. Oh, okay. So, like, do some new ones and talk about the characters therein. Yeah. Or we could just. Maybe we put that up as a poll. Like, would you rather us do first time watches? Would you rather us do uh, full franchises? Or would you rather us uh, just kind of mix and match uh, some different characters that, you know, maybe that. It's like a hodgepodge, like some, a potluck. Some scary characters that you've been waiting for us to cover for a long time that we haven't covered yet. So we'll, we'll, we'll put a poll up and. Uh, Definitely keep your eyes open for some some uh, interesting new stuff over the next couple of weeks. Uh, so I think with that being said, we, we will, will see you, you next Thursday. Thursday.